Laird Superfood transformed my health routine. And one of their products that I love is the Performance Mushroom, which helps boost immunity and fight stress. All organically sourced, it can be easily blended into your daily routine, be it in your coffee, smoothies, or any other favorite drink. I also love their daily prebiotic greens, which are packed with whole fruits, veggies, and vital vitamins A, C, D, and K. Enhanced with gut-friendly adaptogenic mushrooms and a natural refreshing taste of pineapple, lemon oil, and orange oil. They're 40% more affordable than big brands, offering both a month supply for home and single-serve sachets for when life keeps you on the move. Get yours at LairdSuperfood.com and snag 20% off your first purchase using code ONPURPOSE20. Forget about splurging on a pricey trip to the Mediterranean. Let your taste buds do the traveling instead. Dive into your favorite Mediterranean flavors and score some savings at Whole Foods Market until March 19th. Start with the perfect main course, like sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, whole branzini, or some bone-in beef short ribs. And then pair it with the perfect wines from across the region, starting at $8.99. Of course, you must be 21. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. There's such a thing as knowing too much. You've been married to the president of the United States who knows everything about everything in the world. Sometimes you just... A phenomenally successful author. Please welcome the former first lady of these United States, Michelle Obama. I don't want people looking at me and Barack like hashtag couples goals. No, no, there are some broken things that happen even in the best of marriages. What is the thing that keeps you up at night now. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to invite you to join this community to hear more interviews that will help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. All I want you to do is click on the subscribe button. I love your support. It's incredible to see all your comments, and we're just getting started. I can't wait to go on this journey with you. Thank you so much for subscribing. It means the world to me. The number one health and wellness podcast. Jay Shetty. Jay Shetty. The one, the only Jay Shetty. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am so excited for today's episode, but before we do that, make sure you subscribe so you never miss out on any future episodes. I've got so many more exciting guests that I can't wait for you to listen to. And today's guest is, of course, the one, the only, Michelle Obama. We're talking about her book, The Light We Carry. If you don't already have it, make sure you go and grab it. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Michelle Thank you so much for joining me on purpose. This is such an honor. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, uh, a, I'm a fan. Oh, that's <laughs> that is that that means more to me than you know. Thank you so much. And I'll dive straight in. What is the best part about being you? I have never thought about that. That is a great question. I think my family, my friendships, I think one of the things that Barack and I we always talk about is that we're proud of the fact that we've kept our community. You know, people that we've known all our lives are still a part of that community that keeps us solid and keeps us whole and grounded. It's easy to lose your head on this journey that we've been on. And I think what keeps us focused is that we've had, we have some solid people in our lives and we make it a point to cultivate those relationships and mm -hmm to learn to be intentional about them. And I think that that's probably one of the coolest things is that, you know, I've got this big kitchen table <laughs> of people who keep me focused and, and keep me honest. Uh, what's the longest friendship there, non-family? Like what's the, 
oh, in years, the, would you say? The longest friendship. I mean, gosh, childhood friendships I, I still have. Wow. Um, I've sort of picked up friends throughout every part of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got one or two. I've got the high school friends that I keep in touch with, the college friends, the law school friends, you know, so you sort of gather people throughout. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, I've had a lot of people who've sort of just hung in there yeah. before we were the Obamas. Yeah. <laughs> how, how does that work? I feel like so many people who are on their journey, a lot of us don't take steps forward because we're scared of what our friends will think. Some of us get carried away with success yeah. and ego and pride goes to your head and then you alienate people. Mm. Sometimes it's envy and jealousy from everyone else who didn't join you on the journey. Yeah, yeah. How do you navigate a multi-decade level friendship when everyone is going through so much? What are the kind of key milestones yeah, of maintaining yeah. that kitchen table? You know, I, I talk about this journey like climbing Mount Everest. You start, not that I've ever done that, by the <laughs> way, but what I've heard about climbing Mount Everest Fair. is that you, you start out at base camp and then you hit these summits along the way and everybody starts out the journey ready. You know, they think I'm going to make it to the top. And then you start the climb and mm. some people are ready for it and some people aren't. And it's surprising that you learn along the climb who's really ready. Mm -hmm. And there are people who just emotionally, physically can't go the whole way. Mm. They run out of oxygen, you know, mm. they weren't fit for the climb, right? Mm. And one of the hardest things is like when you discover that, I mean, do you, do you stop? Do you go back because there was one member that wasn't ready? Or do you keep climbing and sort of leave them where they are? And we found that that's kind of been the the pattern, right? Wow. There are people who have been, they, they were built for the climb like we were, and some weren't. And I, I find that I, I talk to young people about this too, because when you're a kid coming from nothing, um, and I won't say that I came from nothing, but Barack nor I, came from wealth or connection or fame or fortune. Um, so we have a hodgepodge of people in our lives. And one of the toughest things is to find out that a dear friend wasn't ready for the climb. And in order to keep pressing forward, we tell young people that sometimes you got to leave them there mm. because you can't carry people when you're trying to get to the top. Um, it slows you down. Um, but there's you know, survivor's remorse that comes with it. And I know there, you know, a lot of times when I talk to kids and I see them well up, I see in them that struggle, mm. that they've reached a point where they've left people they love behind mm. and they struggle to figure out how to weather or how to maintain those connections and it becomes hard and it's draining. Mm. You know, kids, for example, who got the opportunity to go to college when half their family isn't eating, Yes. right? And they've got a student loan and they need to use that loan to pay for their books, but they're trying to send money back home to pay the electric bill. Mm. And I tell those kids, like, if you want to make it, you've got to make some hard choices about mm. what to do with your life or you will not make the climb yourself. And then everyone loses. And then everybody loses. And I think that's how we've had to look at it. Mm. We've been fortunate enough that we've had so many people who were ready for the climb. They had to adjust. They had to go back and do a little working out. But for the most part, they've made it. But for the people who couldn't, we had to leave them behind. Mm. 
and keep climbing. And if once we made it to the top, if we could reach back and pull some others up, we definitely did that. It is one of the greatest challenges uh, when you are pursuing a life that is drastically different from the one that you've come from. Is there such a thing as a graceful end? Well, it depends on who's doing the ending, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, sometimes I say there's such a thing as the slow ghost, <laughs> mm. you know, where you just sort of let relationships take their natural course. Mm -hmm. Friendships and relationships kind of tell you when they're ready. Yeah, that's you know? so true. And you have to kind of listen to it. Mm. You, you, you learn as you get older. Yeah. You know, sometimes you held on too long. You let some you know, bad uh, juju stay around too too long. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you, you can recognize, right? I've always approached life and friendships, and I try to tell my daughters this too, is stay open. Mm -hmm. Stay open to the possibility of people. I never want my daughters, and I never wanted to feel so high that I was closed off and suspicious you know, not wanting to let new people in, mm -hmm. right? And that mm -hmm. becomes very difficult Absolutely. when you're the president and the first lady. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, you know, close your life off so much, right? Because everyone might want something totally. from you. But I always felt like, well, that's a loss, you know, because if you close everybody out, then you miss some gyms. Mm. We've tried to be open and find ways to let new people in our lives and develop new relationships and what I tell my kids is trust your gut because you'll know when people should be let out. But keep keep your aperture wide open. Mm. Let people in, but when they show you who they are, let them out quickly. Mm. And as older you get, you you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't that this one isn't working out. So let's just cut it quick, but stay open. Mm. And you're naturally going to make mistakes. You're naturally going to get hurt. Absolutely. You're naturally not going to read everyone perfectly. So true. That's so true. That's going to happen, but it's better to be aware, note down the lesson, but be open in the first place because being closed is worse. You, you miss you miss out yeah. on the goodness, the possibility, the opportunity, the the new, right? Mm -hmm. And I never want to miss out on the new. I, I'd rather keep, give people the benefit of, of the doubt, bring them in, and, and let them disappoint me. Mm. It's like, I, I can deal with disappointment. I can, be, I can, I can get over hurt, mm. but I don't want to lose the possibility of someone special coming in. Wow. That's the greater trade-off. That's right? so powerful. And it's proven to be the right approach. You know, we, we've just met some wonderful people along this journey. And gosh, if I had closed myself off to that, I, oh, I think of the friendships, the influences that I wouldn't have had. Mm. So I want my girls to stay open. Yeah. You know, I want them to be open people. Yes. I had a mentor in London probably around 10 years ago, and he devised this set of questions mm -hmm. that gives you your personality type. And there's so yeah, many yes, tests like this. Yes. But his was really interesting and it's very aligned with your thinking. So, and he also had types where we'd get locked mm -hmm. and he'd call this CSC. He said, the more closed, the more specific and the more controlling you get, mm. the less you're able to actually connect, grow, evolve, learn. 
And he would always say, as you're saying, the more open, random and supportive you are, yeah. the more likely you are to be able to invite people into your life at different times. And I, I love hearing that because- Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it was, yeah that mm -hmm. change from close, mm -hmm. sele oh, close, selective and controlling to open, random and supportive. He was saying, you never know, you could have a random interaction with someone who could be the most beautiful lesson of your life. And, and I also felt that, you know, when you're the president of the United States and the first lady, you have to be open. Mm -hmm. You have to be open to all the possibilities. You can't live in your fortress and govern the people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we benefited from the fact that we had to figure out how to be regular people mm -hmm. in the White House because we had kids in school. And so we couldn't become just White House people. We had to get to know that community and go to parent-teacher conference and make friends with other parents because we wanted our kids' lives to be normal. But that, in a way, kept me connected with people and what they were really feeling and what their challenges were. And it keeps me open and empathetic to people because I'm engaged and I'm not sitting in my castle mm -hmm. looking out at everybody else. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I found it particularly necessary absolutely. in our role. Yeah, so that's the best thing. That's beautiful. What has been the worst or the hardest part about being you? Well, I think it's the flip side of that coin of that when you're on the top of Mount Everest, it can be isolating and uh, dystopic in a way. You know, I think one of the greatest things that we've learned to appreciate in this role, and I, I tell young people this, especially young people who think they want fame, mm. you know, it's like, do you know what that is? Mm. <laughs> you know, are you grasping for something that you have no idea or your parents pushing you towards this thing? Is that when you become famous, well-known, you lose your anonymity. That's a tough thing to lose. It's a price. Right? It's a, cost, yeah. it's a huge price, right? The natural everyday thing of, of sitting and being able to sit in the world and observe it. Mm. and not be observed, right? I mean, Wow, that's a really that, interesting way of putting yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, just sort of sitting in a park and watching the world happen with nobody pulling you out of it, right? The simple walk through a park or standing in line at the grocery store and overhearing life. We don't have that. You know, we don't have spontaneity in the same way. And that's a hard thing to lose. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Fortunately, we lost it. We lost it in our 40s. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I just think of kids who are reaching for it, not knowing that you, you're about to lose a really valuable thing. You want to. You're striving to lose it. And you're only 18, mm. 20. You don't want to lose your anim anonymity. You don't want to trade that off for anything in the world because once you lose it, you lose a lot more. We've adjusted, right? Because we're adults. So yes, I can figure out how to make one move, go on a walk, visit a friend, but I have to call like 12 people and I have to think about <laughs> the movements and security has to be lined up. We can't do the ordinary things of life, you know, go to a movie theater or <laughs> I joked at COVID when people asked when we were all in quarantine, how did it feel? And I was like, well, it was kind of easy for us because we've lived in quarantine <laughs> for like, you know, a decade. Yeah, yeah, a decade and yeah. so you learn to live in this smaller footprint.
But it's that's a tough thing mm -hmm. that I don't think people think about when they think of power and fame mm -hmm. and there's there's some downsides to yeah. it. Yeah. And, and what do what do people want the most from you and because I love the idea of what you're saying of being open. It's such, mm -hmm. that mindset is so special. Yeah. yeah. I guess when that when you are open and then like you said you can get over that hurt. Mm -hmm. What is the hurt that you usually have to get over or most commonly that you've had to Well, the, maybe hurt is too strong of a mm -hmm, word. Mm -hmm. um, again, because we're older, it's just the loss of a piece of yourself. Right. You know, I mean, people always ask me, I was in Chicago the other day, and every time I go back to Chicago, people are like, do you miss Chicago? I miss the Chicago that we knew before we were here. Wow, it's powerful. Yeah. That Chicago is no longer available to us. To you, yes, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. the way we loved it in that way. And that's that's a loss. Is it a hurt? Is it personal? No, it's just the way life is, but it's still a loss. You know, my husband loves New York. And it was interesting, he thought for a second, because he's been more isolated than me. Mm -hmm. He thought for a minute, when we leave the White House, we'll live in New York. I was like, dude, you can't live in New York. <laughs> and it's just, he cannot access the wonderful city of New York in the way that he remembered when he was in his 20s. Because guess what we can't do? We can't walk down the street. Hmm. We can't get on the subway. We can't necessarily walk through Central Park without a big plan. Hmm. You know, the things that make New York, New York, we can't access it. That's the part I don't, you know, the people part, the connection to people part. Mm -hmm. I never get exhausted by that Understood. because I'm open. Yes. Right. So it's not it's the a great people, distinction. Right. It's just the way you want to live your life, especially when you're open. Right. You want to be open. You want to be in the midst of people. And we've lost that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what's beautiful about this book, The Light We Carry, and Becoming is it shows us just how many trials, challenges, setbacks that you've had to overcome and that you've gone through in your life so elegantly, gracefully, tactfully, you know, with, with so much determination and drive. And I'm intrigued that after having overcome so much, like you said, climbing Mount Everest, using that as our, as our analogy, what is the thing that keeps you up at night now? Or what is, is your biggest fear now after having overcome so many? It has less to do with me personally and more to do with the world that we're in. There's such a thing as knowing too much. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and mm -hmm. when you've been married to the president of the United States who knows everything about everything in the world, sometimes you just want to turn it You know it off, too much. Right. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know what was in that folder that you just got that made you quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to know why the security just pulled you over. Mm. I mean, it could be any range of things that comes across the desk of the leader of the free world, right? So I know a lot about what's going on and what keeps me up are the things that I know. Mm -hmm. um, the war in the region, in too many regions. What is AI gonna do for us? The environment, you know, are we moving at all fast enough? What are we doing about education? Mm. Are people gonna vote? And why aren't people voting? Are we too stuck to our phones? I mean, those are yeah. the things that yeah. keep me up because you you don't have control over them. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, where are people, where are we in this? You know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen. 
because our leaders matter, who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit. It affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. You know, the fact that people think that government, eh, you know, does it really even do anything? And I'm like, oh my God, does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I, I worry that we do. Those are the things mm. that keep me up. What, what habits have you developed? Because I think people may not have access to the news you do, but I think people can definitely relate yes, yes. to what you're saying. Of Absolutely. Like, Jay, I'm just seeing all the news on my phone. I'm connected to the TV. I'm hearing things from friends and family. Like I think a lot of people can relate to you saying, I feel like I know too much. Yeah. What are some of the habits and practices or rules that you've developed that have really become your saving grace? Because like you said, to you, it's not just a news update, it's a folder, it's the mm-hmm. person calling, mm-hmm. it's a yeah. private meeting, whatever yeah. it may be. You're, in one sense, it's even more extreme because you're so privy to the actual reality as opposed to a news channel, which is mm-hmm. part of reality. Yeah. So. Yeah. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash on purpose to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash on purpose. Terms and conditions apply. I've always been on this mission to find things that really line up with what I care about for a healthier lifestyle. And that's when I discovered Laird Superfood. It felt like discovering a perfect match, something that totally clicked with what I believe in and my goal for better health. One of their products that I absolutely love is their performance mushroom. They've collected some of the most powerful mushrooms in nature and brought them together in this amazing superfood blend. These different types of natural mushrooms, such as chaga, lion's mane, cordyceps, and maitake, are praised for their talent in fighting stress, supporting your immune system, and giving your brain a boost. Another one that I love is their daily prebiotic greens. Each serving is a complete mix of fruits and vegetables, fixing a common problem, which is that 90% of Americans don't get enough vegetables, and 80% don't get enough fruit in their diets. They taste like a light citrus burst from real food, such as pineapple, lemon oil, and orange oil, fruit powders such as apple, no heavy sugars, syrups, or stevia. These greens are 40% more affordable than other big brands. You can get a month's supply in a bag for your daily routine at home or grab the single-serve sachets for when you're on the go. Check out LairdSuperfood.com and grab yours today. Use the code ONPURPOSE20 when you check out and score 20% off your first purchase. Easter is right around the corner. That's right, this year, Easter is Sunday, March 31st. Hop into some serious savings with 20% off pickup orders now through March 30th. Use promo code SPRING20 to save on all the things you need to build baskets they'll love at CVS. Find trending beauty buys, chocolate bunnies, delightful toys for kids and so much more. 
Visit cvs.com forward slash Easter for details. One of the most important practices is, is deliberately turning that off mm. for a moment or more than a moment. And I encourage that. I think our phones are sort of the regular man's equivalent to what I just described. Mm. We're too connected all the time. We're reading too much. We're taking too much in. We are constantly being fed by images. And that's become the norm. And it's we, we've been sort of marketed that that's cool. That's mm. what we should want. But our brains are not... We are, we are not that sophisticated a species. Yeah. We have not evolved enough to be able to take in that much information on a constant basis. And our kids certainly are not prepared to handle it. I think that, that plays a huge role in the higher rates of depression and suicide among young people. They've got to let their brains rest yeah. from the noise. Even though, you know, we're all trying to fix everything everyone needs a break from it, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm very deliberate about knowing that I can't take all that in and, and, and we're getting it in such a sort of misinterpreted way, mm -hmm. right? We've got, you know, confirmation bias. We're reading only what we already believe. And I know I have to be very deliberate about you know, understanding that a lot of the information I'm getting isn't even complete. I do filter, yes. you know, and then I, I develop habits that shut my brain off to thinking, mm. right? I, I wrote in the light about knitting, you mm. know, which is uh, a habit that I, I developed, a hobby that I developed over quarantine. And that's because it makes you so present and it, so... It, it 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 shuts your brain down and allows your your hands the motion to take over, mm. and in that way, I found that it is meditative, right? Um, and that's what meditation is: it's quieting your noisy mind. And some of us can't connect to meditation, but I think we need it. Mm -hmm. I I think biologically we need to shut that part of ourselves down to get a rest from it. And I find that knitting does it, exercise does it. Mm -hmm. um, learning something physical shuts my mind down. I mean, I've taken up tennis and there's nothing that shuts <laughs> my mind down than running after a green ball <laughs> and trying to figure out, move your feet, hit the ball, oh, the follow feet. through. It's like, yeah, um, that shuts my mind down. For the hour or 90 minutes that I'm doing that thing, I'm not worrying. Mm. You know, I'm breathing. Mm. I'm outside. I'm letting the sun hit my face. I am those habits and routines of creating something, right? And we're do, we do that less and less now. Yeah. It's like everything is all in the mind. It's yes. all technology. But I think we need something where the thing I, I love about knitting is that at the end of it, I've made something, <laughs> you know? It's, ju it's, it's just satisfying in a very different way from problem solving or analysis, yes. right? Yes. Building, creating, painting, drawing, fixing, putting something real into the world that came from your own hands. Yes. Something small, you know, that's yeah. why I talk about the power of small in the light we carry, because a lot of times our brains are trying to do the big fix. Mm -hmm. And that's when we feel hopeless and we're tired because 
most of us don't have the power to fix anything at, at a big scale. But we can focus on the small things that we have control over. Mm. You know, making a sweater for your daughter, helping mentor a child in your neighborhood, loving the children you bring into the world and making sure they have everything they need. That's where mm -hmm. change happens, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when I do those kinds of activities, I meditate into that power, yes. right? That small power, that there is satisfaction from hitting a stupid ball <laughs> over a net, yes. you know, and yeah. getting a good swing out of it. It's like, it makes the day better because yes. I served the ball right or yes. I finished a scarf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, no, you're so right. I'm, and I'm so glad you're using the word shutting down yeah. and this switch to analog. I remember at one point, and I think everyone can relate to this, you wake up to your phone. Mm -hmm. I'd be brushing my teeth, I'm on my phone. Yeah. I'm eating breakfast, I'm on yeah. my phone. You know, just your phone is now tethered to your hand in every activity that you're doing throughout the day. And so your brain is never shutting down. And the interesting thing is we all know our phones need a reset. They mm -hmm. need an update. They need yeah. a software refresh or whatever it may be. And I think I saw somewhere that the human brain today has to process like 74 gigabytes worth mm -hmm. of information a day. Yeah, yeah. A day. And I was thinking, I remember when your phone, doesn't, and, you know, it's and, a lot. And when you think about it, this is a brand new technology, yes. right? You know, when we got into the White House, we we had Blackberries, right? Wow, yeah. Uh, social media wasn't a thing, mm -hmm. right? All of that came into being in the eight years that we were in the White House, and it's just gone off like a rocket ship. We don't evolve that quickly, mm -hmm. you know. Humans, it takes generations for us to evolve. We haven't adapted to this new media. We haven't, we have not biologically mm -hmm. adapted. Mm -hmm. And so no wonder we're stressed. Yes. No wonder we're, we're full of anxiety. Um, no wonder our kids are struggling, you know, because we, we have a new technology and we've just, we, we've taken it in hook, line, and sinker. We're not even questioning how much, you know, the more the merrier, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think we need to be very mindful about this new gadget. Yes. And we have to be mindful for our kids mm -hmm. because they have no filter, mm -hmm. right? They'll just be thumbing through this stuff, you know, their, their mind's never sleeping. And as parents of my generation, we know so little about it. We don't. We don't even know how to monitor it. Mm -hmm. It's like cigarettes, right? Is it good for us? <laughs> I mean, at one point, everybody smoked yeah. until we realized, oops, this isn't really, really good for us, right? Mm -hmm. I think we we have to be cautious about this this new thing that we're just lapping up. Yeah, I read an article a few years ago. Exactly, it was saying that today we absorb in one day, in 24 hours, the same amount of tragedy we would in our entire lifetime 25 years ago. Today we absorb what we would in our entire lifetime in one day, and it felt real. And you that's why people feel more panicked. I mean, Barack, my husband, is a he's a fact-based guy. Mm -hmm. He's a science guy. Sometimes it's not popular these <laughs> days, right? Having a president that believes in facts and science and all that stuff, but... He's one of those people. And he always says, you know, statistically speaking, especially when young people bemoan where we are today, he says, you know, 
if you look at history and statistics, if you were to pick any time in human history to be born, mm-hmm. you'd want to be born now. Mm. Crime, war, those rates are at the lowest. But nobody feels that. Mm. People feel more unsafe. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're, they're getting fed yes. images of every crime that happens anywhere, everywhere. Right? Mm-hmm. And when we were growing up, you just heard your local news. Yeah. You know? It's just like, oh, there was a fire or that yeah. kid, you know. And, you know, now we're getting everything, not just from our community, but all over the world. Mm-hmm. Stuff that's always been happening, mm-hmm. we just didn't know about it. Yes. We, now we know too much. Yes. And we're interpreting that to mean things are horrible. We went through world wars and depressions and famine. This isn't new. It's just we know everything. Mm. You know, it's one way to look at it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and I think you're right because there's the incomplete information. I like the word incomplete that you mm-hmm. said. That. I appreciate that kind of subtle point. Incomplete information. Then you have opinions. Then you have feelings and emotions. And so there's, there's so much more information on every level. You have the physical information, the emotional information, the mental information, of course, the physical experience of it. And, and, it, and it, can be, it can be too much. One of the, uh, it's so interesting you use the analogy of climbing Mount Everest because I went to see a comedy show recently and I'm trying to remember the comedian's name. So I'll have to find it afterwards and, and put him in there. But he literally was describing, he was saying relationships are like climbing Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. And so what he said was, he goes, you start at base camp and he goes, you and your partner are ready. You're ready Mm -hmm. to go. You're being guided. And then at one point you're like, oh, we're cold, but it's okay. We'll keep each other warm. We'll be fine. And then he goes, you get to the first stop and you go, oh yeah. Like, have you, have you, did you pack the, the gloves? Did you pack the gloves? And then your partner goes, oh no, I forgot the gloves. And you're like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. We'll just keep our hands warm. <laughs> then you get a bit higher. And then they were like, now it's got to a point where it's really cold. And you go, why did you forget those gloves? Like, you know, it's like the press, like, come on. Like, why do you forget those gloves? Then you get the next stop and your partner says to you, like, you packed the sandwiches, right? <laughs> and then you look at the sandwiches, like, I don't know where the sandwiches are. Anyway, and so you talk about this so much in your work, in your book, like relationships are challenging. They're difficult. I think you've been together now for over 30 years, 31? 31 years. 31 years. years. Congratulations. October, Ian. yeah. Okay, amazing. 31 years. Congratulations. Thank I mean, you. That's incredible. And so inspiring in so many ways. My wife and I have been together for 10 years. and That counts. Counts. And, and you know, <laughs> definitely like can see the, the challenges unforeseen and seen that come with being together over long periods of time. My wife and I, in 2016, we both changed jobs. So we got married, we changed jobs and moved country. So we moved from London to New York that year. We both quit our jobs in London. I could work here, my wife couldn't at the time because of her visa. And we started new lives and we obviously moved home and we were away from our families. And that year was, it brought us closer, thankfully, but it was a very challenging, difficult year because I've heard that those are some of the hardest things you can do. The only thing we didn't do was have a kid. That's right. Uh, and you, when, you covered all the hard bases. Yeah, apart from president <laughs> and first lady. I think that, that takes it. But when you're going through all these challenges, you've talked about these many, many times before. Has there ever been a time when you've said things or done things and afterwards thought, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't say what, that. What, in my marriage? Yes, yeah. Of course. I Yesterday. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. How, how do you, how do you, because you've been together for 31 years, how do you rectify something like that when you know, because there's a difference between being spiteful or being silly, but like when you really feel like I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, like how do you address something that 
You know, that's the practice of relationships, right? After 31 years, yeah, we still do it, but you know it quicker. Mm-hmm. And then you you apologize, you know? You you learn how to say my bad, <laughs> right? And that takes that takes a second, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I talk about relationships in the light. I talk mm-hmm. about marriage because I, I just think that, number one, most people don't talk about it. Like mm-hmm. our parents you didn't talk about your marriage. You didn't mm-hmm. talk about your feelings. You didn't talk about your parents didn't tell you about the challenges that we're facing. So why? Mm-hmm. Why don't we share the whole experience? Mm-hmm. Because what happens is that by not knowing, you hit in in your relationship some natural, like understandable rough patches mm-hmm. and you want to quit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not quit worthy. That's mm-hmm. just... That's the just the nature of things. You know, that's why I joked. It's like, oh, you're mad at your partner. You, you're mad for a year and you think the marriage is over. Nah, nah. you're going to have decades of I don't know if I like you, you yeah. know, because over the span of a 30 year marriage. Yeah, you cobble together enough arguments and you got a decade. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it goes, but you don't quit on it, right? Mm -hmm. You learn from it. And that's what sustaining a relationship is. It's the choice to figure it out, Mm. not to quit when it gets hard. So yeah, I said something that I didn't mean to say, Mm. right? Year year five, we might've had hurt feelings and it would have taken days to rectify it. Year 30, it's like, ah, eh, there she goes again, or there he goes again. I know when, how to talk to him about it and when, because we've practiced it. Mm. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've gotten it wrong. And after 31 years, we're getting better at it. Mm. And it gets better and better and better. You know, look, if you lived with your roommate for 30 years, you would hate them <laughs> at some point in time. But yeah. it wouldn't be some defining thing. Mm. You have friendships. If they last long, you're going to have some falling out. Why do we put so much pressure on marriage mm. to to not be hard? Mm. It's the natural hardest thing you will ever do, mm. which is to try to build a life with another person who wasn't raised in your shoes, mm. who has a totally different temperament. Right. And you're like having other people with them. (laughs) You know, you bring other lives and other personalities into the mix and then life is happening. Yeah. Of course, it's going to be hard, Mm -hmm. you know, but I wouldn't trade in my marriage for anything in the world with all the ups and downs, with all the running for president stuff. I was like, why'd you do that? I mean, talk about that being a big gaping (laughs) (laughs) transition thing in our lives. But the good has outweighed it. And if we hadn't hung in there, we would have missed all the good. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tell young people. Like, first of all, pick well. Pick somebody you respect and like. Start there. Mm. Right. And then remember that that's who they are Mm. and then understand that with that they are going to be and you are going to be deeply, deeply flawed Mm. (laughs) and you're going to make a whole lot of mistakes. Right. But in the end, you can look that person in the eye and you go, you're still the person that I like and love and respect and we can figure this out. 
Yeah. So I share that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I don't want people looking at me and Barack like hashtag couples goals yeah. and not know that, no, no, there are some broken things that happen even in the best of marriages. Absolutely. And and you use that term quit worthy. Is that something that you defined for yourself, what you saw as quit worthy and what you saw as not that's quit a, worthy? That's a good question. Look, I think there, there are some objective quit worthy mm-hmm. things like criminality. <laughs> course yeah. abuse but hey that's 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 me you know there's some people who love through a whole lot of things mm-hmm. so i think that has to be individual but if i were talking to my daughters i wouldn't want them in to stay in a marriage that made them feel oppressed that was an overall negative to who they were mm-hmm. right i do think there are reasons to walk away from marriage, friendship, a whole jobs, a whole lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have a clear list of like yeah. the non-negotiables, but yeah. everybody has their own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important that, you know, everyone who's listening or watching, that idea of having our own mm-hmm. quit-worthy definition is is such a need because it can get really hard to find clarity when you get really deep into something. Uh, a practice that I love doing with a lot of my clients and even people that I work with or online is I ask everyone to write down the needs that they have in their life Mm -hmm. and then write down the people that fill those needs. And it could be themselves too, some of them. And then some of them are their friends, their mom, their dad. And of course in your book, like we notice like your mom's like wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. Like like she's the Buddha in your life, as you say. You, You see different people. What are the roles that you initially wanted President Obama to fill that you then realized they actually needed to be filled by other people? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I write about it. Mm -hmm. The fact that we we are two very independent, ambitious, smart people and complex, you know, as as individuals. We, you know, we're dynamic in, you know, I'm not saying that as a ego trip, but no, I know what you mean. You're constantly in flux. That's exactly right. And I learned, it took me a while to learn that, you know, there's no way we could be everything to each other. Mm. We have different interests, different goals. There was a stage in my marriage where I thought that's what a partner was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, you should call me all the time. We should talk all the time. We should be each other's best friends all the time. Our marriage got better when I got better about that because I think he already had that independence, this this notion of, I love you. Mm-hmm. I don't even if I don't talk to you today, that to me is like I don't need that. I felt like I needed more of that. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, right, I got more mature, more clear about my own goals, I realized that I, you know. He can't be responsible for my happiness. Mm. I have to be responsible for that. I have to define it for myself. I have to learn how to achieve it. My husband is definitely a part of that, mm-hmm. but he is not the, he. I cannot put him in the center of my happiness. Mm-hmm. That freed me up to let him be him and let me be me. So I have friends who give me things that my husband doesn't give me. I have girlfriends. One distinction that we have is like, I'm a talker. (laughs) All right. When I sit down with my girlfriends, we can talk for days. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally for days. We can take a break for lunch, but we can talk. (laughs) You know, my husband's not, he he can talk, but he, he will come by a friendship session 
you know, nine o'clock in the morning, I have a friend staying with me and he's like, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> it's like, well, we're just now getting into our kids yeah. and we're going to talk about each one of them separately for like an hour. <laughs> right. Wow. He's like, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He can't be that for me. But I have really good, mm. mostly girlfriends who give me that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they, we will dissect life <laughs> to the bitter. We will wring everything out of every subject. Yes. Yes. And he's like, I think I'm done. Yes. I was like, well, you can go be done because I've got her and we just got started. Yeah. We're going to we got 12 more hours to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've always been on this mission to find things that really line up with what I care about for a healthier lifestyle. And that's when I discovered Laird Superfood. It felt like discovering a perfect match, something that totally clicked with what I believe in and my goal for better health. One of their products that I absolutely love is their performance mushroom. They've collected some of the most powerful mushrooms in nature and brought them together in this amazing superfood blend. These different types of natural mushrooms, such as chaga, lion's mane, cordyceps, and maitake, are praised for their talent in fighting stress, supporting your immune system, and giving your brain a boost. Another one that I love is their daily prebiotic greens. Each serving is a complete mix of fruits and vegetables, fixing a common problem, which is that 90% of Americans don't get enough vegetables, and 80% don't get enough fruit in their diets. They taste like a light citrus burst from real food such as pineapple, lemon oil, and orange oil, fruit powders such as apple, no heavy sugars, syrups, or stevia. These greens are 40% more affordable than other big brands. You can get a month's supply in a bag for your daily routine at home or grab the single-serve sachets for when you're on the go. Check out LairdSuperfood.com and grab yours today. Use the code ONPURPOSE20 when you check out and score 20% off your first purchase. Easter is right around the corner. That's right, this year, Easter is Sunday, March 31st. Hop into some serious savings with 20% off pickup orders now through March 30th. Use promo code SPRING20 to save on all the things you need to build baskets they'll love at CVS. Find trending beauty buys, chocolate bunnies, delightful toys for kids and so much more. Visit cvs.com forward slash Easter for details. And and that's so beautiful to hear because I think, especially when we're young, we think that that person has to be all of that. And and from the beginning, and or they'll become it. There's the other fallacy of like, oh, well, I know who they could be and mm-hmm. who they could become. How much of that did you feel you had to disconnect and detach from of like what this person could be to you, obviously not in the world, but. I had to disconnect from all of those beliefs, right? Um, and every couple is different. I found, I, I know people who are each other's best friends. They like to travel together. They walk and hold hands and. <laughs> I, I have friends who are in relationships where they talk like every hour. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you talking to him again? <laughs> Nothing changed. You know, it's up to mm-hmm. the individuals mm-hmm. to define that for themselves. That's um, the keyword, yeah. For Barack and I. And I think you should be clear about that. Because mm-hmm. the other thing is that when we hold on internally to an expectation of the other person, we don't even share it. So now we're mad that you haven't even fulfilled <laughs> something I never even told you I needed, you yeah. know? That takes time and it takes work, which is why marriage is hard, right? Because you'll have the tendency to live in your head and live out the image of what you want them to be. And you haven't even communicated that to them. That's just one little fraction of the challenge of marriage and friendship and all of that. It's hard. It Mm. takes time, but it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think those those check-ins are the hardest. I, I know that there's 
there's four check-ins that I try and keep a good habit around with my wife that have really helped me. One of them is every day I'll ask her like, what was your highlight today? Or what did you learn today? Something, something yeah. positive, something like, what's, what's the best thing that happened to you today? I want to mm -hmm. know because it's so easy for us to get so busy in our days, not see each other all day, not speak all day. And days can go by like that too, because we're also traveling. And then every week I try and ask her like, how can I, what can I help you with this week? Like, is there something coming up that I just need to be aware of? Yeah, Sometimes yeah. it's just information. Yeah. And that gives me an opportunity to also tell her I've got a really stressful week coming up. Right, just know right. that I may not be at my best this week. I'm just letting you know. Uh, every month I'm, you know, checking in with her and trying to just say to her like, uh, what's, what's your big focus for this month? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what, what's the big thing that you're working on? Then every year is easy. Like, you know, what's your goal this year, a resolution or whatever. And I find that those questions, and sometimes every quarter I'll ask a question, which is the hardest one, but it's like, is this relationship going in the direction you want it to? Mm. And if it isn't, what are you willing to do? And what am I willing to do to get it back on track? Yeah. Because I find so often, like, if you just don't talk about that yeah. deep intimacy, you're just going on different tracks. And that's why five years later, you're like, well, I don't know you anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I find that, like, staying in close contact. But one of the biggest things I read, which I wanted to try with you, was uh, the Gottman Institute talked about how the number one skill or habit in relationships and they looked at couples who'd stayed together the longest and they found it wasn't date nights, it wasn't mm -hmm. vacations, it wasn't any of this stuff. It was learning how to fight. Oh, It was sure. knowing how to yeah. deal with conflict. And most couples, obviously we all go, well, we never fight or we're never gonna fight, but it's inevitable. So I came up with these three fight styles and I wanted to know okay. how you see yourself and how you see President Obama, how he would see him, himself. And so here, the three fight styles are a venter, which means I want to fix and solve it right now. You like mm -hmm. to vent, mm -hmm. but you're really trying to fix and solve it. The second one is you're a hider. You need time and space to mm -hmm. think about it. You just want to go spend time by yourself. And then the third one is the exploder where it's like, I want my emotions to be heard, felt and seen before we take time apart or before yeah, we try and yeah. solve it. Which one are you? Okay, so I've changed over. Interesting. I think early on in our relationships, I was more of an exploder. Wow. I think he has been, always been a fixer, mm -hmm. right? The venter, yeah, fixer, yeah. yeah. So then I would be explosive and then want to hide, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like, I want to explode, let me have my emotions, and then give me a moment. Yes. Right? And he's like, we've got to fix this. We've got to, you know, shut this down. we got to, I will figure it out. Let's talk this through. Yes. Um, and I love that about him, especially as a man. You mm -hmm. know, he is somebody that is not afraid to put his emotions out. He's smart, and so he knows me. So he's like, he won't let me pretend like there's nothing wrong because he knows I know there's something. You're a little off. and um, But I've had to learn that exploding on a fixer, it doesn't feel good <laughs> to them, right? Yes, it just, yes. you know, it feels good for me. Yes, but it doesn't feel good for him, mm. right? But he's learned that as a hider, that I do need a little more time, mm. right? If I'm exploding, I can't be rational enough to talk through your fixing. Mm -hmm. And you, and if you want to fix it, then I've got to be in a rational place. Mm. So let me hide for a minute so mm. I can get myself down to a fixer place. Yes. I think that's been the trajectory wow. of our sorting through 
learning how to argue. But I like I like those. But he's he's been pretty consistent. Yeah, he is consistently the fixer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and he's also much more even keel. You know, than I am emotionally. Yes. Um, we're just different people in that way. And he's learned not to be too afraid of the explosiveness. Yes, it's like. I don't mean it. I'm just saying it mm-hmm. right now because mm-hmm. I need to say it. Yes. Right. And that awareness that you're just displaying there is so powerful to to witness because you realize, wow, it's not as serious as I'm making it out right. to be. It's important. That's right. That's right. It's, That's right. it's important and I need to take note of it, but it's, I don't need to deal with it in this Right, right. Well, and it's maturing. We all say, well, say what's on your mind, you know, (laughs) tell it like it is. And it's like, yeah, I'm, that tends to be who I am. Yeah. But as you get older, you realize, yeah, that's your heart, but your head tells you, you want to be heard. Mm. And you have to think about who you're talking to and what your end goal is, because Mm -hmm. that will dictate how you have to communicate to them. So Mm -hmm. when you're young, you just want to be heard. Yes. As you get older, you have a goal. You mm. want to achieve something. Mm. And well being said. heard in the way you say it may not get you to your goal. Yes. I mean, that's at the crux for me of what going high is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, going high is being strategic. If you're really trying to make change, you have to think about whether your approach will allow for change to happen. Mm. You know, going high means you're thinking about a broader point outside of your own anger or hurt or pain. You're thinking, where am I trying to get to and how do I do that with this group that I'm trying to move? That's passion matured Mm. into purpose. And young people often, they want to just act with passion. Yes. Right? But passion doesn't always solve a thing. And I've learned that in my relationship, you know, my passion isn't, is meaningless if my husband can't hear it. You know, if I've hurt his feelings in the process, well, what's, that's not the point, you know? So I have to mature my passion. You know, I have to mature it as a mother, right? I have to be very careful as a mother with the words I say. I can't just say what's on my mind. I can, I have to think about how I say it to which child. Yes. Because they're both different and they both need to be parented different, right? So going high is like, to me, it's the mature way to live, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. the it's a mature way to get the message across. It doesn't mean that how you feel isn't relevant, right? Yeah. It's true. It's real and true. But that's that's for you to deal with. When 1, you're dealing percent. with external people, whether it's your husband or your kids or your friends, your passion has to take way to, well, well what's going to work with this person? Mm. What's going to work with this group of people? To me, that's what going high is. Yeah, what a great definition. I think you're the best person to have this conversation with. I love how you explain the need for that. And actually, I don't think I've heard it explained in that way before. I really appreciate it because I think currently we've confused being authentic and being strategic. What you were just saying is when you're sharing how you feel, you are being authentic, Mm -hmm. but maybe it won't be authentically received or heard or seen because it wasn't strategically perceived. But we sometimes today perceive strategy as manipulation or as a technique as opposed to- Or selling out. Or selling out, (laughs) right. Walk me through that because I think how we perceive, we've put authenticity on a pedestal which is not wrong, but we've put strategy as like 
the thing that you kind of, you know, shun. Well, and maybe strategy is too strategic or hard of a word, word right. but you could replace that with empathy, mm. right? You know, well, if you were yeah. connectivity, it's sort of like, who am I trying to move mm. and where are they in this, mm -hmm. right? And when you're the president of the United States or the first lady, you have a big platform. I've always felt like I have a responsibility to set my feelings aside and think about where are you? Mm -hmm. Why are you so angry? Where is your hate coming from? Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I can be mad at your hate. I can be mad that you're, you know, you just said something racist or you knocked me down a peg or you misjudged me. But if I'm trying to fix the relationship, I've mm -hmm. got to understand what are you going through? Mm -hmm. Where did that perception come from? What's your history? What puts you in this spirit of mm -hmm. hate? because that's going to dictate how we can even begin to have the conversation. Yes. I don't lose my authenticity in that because I know who I am, right? But I have to make room to understand who you are. That's either strategy or empathy. But to me, effective communication, especially if you're a leader, mm. if you have the power, it requires a step back, yes. right? And I think that's what going high is. And I do, you're right, I think in this day and age, we've kind of supplanted that consideration mm. because my feelings count. Mm -hmm. My voice has to be heard, which is also why I think we have to learn how to hear people throughout, right? We yeah. have to give people a space to be heard outside of the anger, Right, because that's where all that's coming from, right? Mm, when people mm. can't mature their response, it's because they don't have a voice. Mm. It's like if I don't have a voice in regular conversation, then I will make you hear me. Yes. Right. Young people feel that way. Absolutely. Right. Opp oppressed people feel that way. People who don't have a stake in mm. it feel that way, which is why I think it's strategic to give everybody a piece of something mm -hmm. so that they feel seen and heard. I think that brings, that ratchets down the anger, the explosiveness, mm -hmm. because people can guarantee that they are being seen, they'll be heard. They don't have to yell. They don't have to tear something apart. Mm -hmm. They don't have to break it because they own it. And we just lose sight of that. thousand percent. These days in our policies and our perspectives, you can't shut people out. Mm. You know, I, I talk about in the light when I think about kids from communities that are underinvested in, their their anger, their lack of like I don't none of this belongs to me, so why would I protect it? Mm. Why wouldn't I break down your house or rob you or try to take your car? Because I don't own any of this. This country is not mine. They don't see me, right? I think we do better with kids if they feel like I've got a chance here. This place is investing in me, mm -hmm. so I'm invested in it. We do that with kids in the inner, inner city, but we, you know, we don't talk about education. We don't talk about what we're giving them or whether they have music or, or joy or sports or activities. We just want them to have nothing and then be okay with it. Mm. But they're going to fight to be heard. Yes. They're going to fight to be seen, but they're not going to do it in a rational way because mm. they don't have a strategic place and they don't feel like they're a part of it. So true.
So true. When you're trying to go high, when you're trying to have this view of, I want to understand your story, I want to get inside your mindset and, and recognize why you have evolved in this direction or this particular path, if anything, what does still offend you? Like Injustice, uh, ego, greed. It's offensive. Racism, ignorance, it's offensive. And I've always been that kid. I don't like unfairness. Mm. I don't like bullies. Mm. But I have to think about how I deliver messages. That's beautiful. Still, even in my pain and my anger and my disappointment. So the, those emotions are there, mm -hmm. but I have to think about where do, where do I let that out? Yes. <laughs> in a safe space. And that's what my kitchen table is, right? <laughs> I still have those emotions, but in my public facing voice, I have to be responsible, mm. right? And strategic and thoughtful about what's going to move the needle, what's going to add value. My emotional well-being gets taken care of at the kitchen table. Mm. I, I, I can't suffocate those feelings, mm -hmm. but I can't act them out in the town square. Yeah. Because I'm just going to add fuel to the fire. And that doesn't help if we're trying to move the needle. And That's that doesn't make I, you inauthentic. I don't believe because those feelings are still mine. And if you ask me, I'll tell you what I'm angry about. But I, I'm not going to lead with that. And in the midst of the message, I'll make it clear what I stand for and what I don't stand for. But the tone and tenor of the message matters. Mm. We can't just say what, what the first thing that comes to our minds. We cannot. Mm. That is not authenticity to me. That's, that's childish. And we see childless leadership right before us, what that looks like and how that feels, where somebody is just base and vulgar and cynical in a leadership position. Mm. It, it doesn't trickle down well. You know, that just begets more of that. Mm -hmm. I think we are obligated to model for those of us that have a platform mm. because it resonates. Mm -hmm. And I want to resonate good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to resonate reason and compassion and empathy. And that's more important than my feelings. Because mm. my feelings, I can take care of those. Mm. That is, uh, that's, that's a masterclass in communication right there. Genuinely, that is, to hear that from you with so much empathy but energy is so empowering for everyone who's listening and watching because I think... I think we've approached it from the other way around today. I think, I think my personal feelings, not mine, but in general, how we feel, my personal feelings have become more important than moving and supporting and serving and caring and getting to yeah, where yeah. we need to get to. Yeah, yeah. And that's because we've suppressed those feelings. That's why that has happened. It hasn't happened because people are mean or insensitive. It's happened because people feel they've been so unheard, going back to your point, and that's why we need to give space. We need to get let this rise. How early did you start recognizing this for you in your own life? Like where, do you remember like the earliest before the White House, like where you actually were like, this worked, like this made sense. And I still felt good because I had my kitchen table. Is there anything that comes to mind? And do I go to childhood? I don't think I knew any Where of this when it? I was little. But I think I, you know, I learned it on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it was a product of one of the hardest moments that I had on the campaign trail, but one of the 
best growth moments. And I write about this in the light when I was accused of not loving my country Mm. because of some phrasing I said. I learned, first of all, that when you have a public forum, especially in this day and age, that and you're like competing, people will distort you whenever Mm -hmm. they can. And, and if they distort your words, your truth, even your personhood, which I felt like people attempted to do with me, with us, they tried to otherize us as the first black people, accusing my husband of being a terrorist and not being born in this country, accusing me of being an angry black woman and, you know, the labels that can easily get put on others, that people that are othered, right, to make people afraid of us, that mm-hmm. that is a strategy that gets played again and again and again. It was being played on me Mm. and it got me to the point where I was almost ready to quit campaigning, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? But then I thought I have to be more strategic than they are Mm -hmm. about how I deliver my message. Mm -hmm. I have to be authentic, but I also have to be careful so that I don't get mischaracterized. I have to be smarter than them. That doesn't mean I stop, Mm -hmm. but I had to regroup for a minute there and really evaluate how am I going to regain control over my narrative Mm -hmm. and communicate in a broad way, right, that allows me to be heard, especially as a black woman. Yes. Here, being critical or being authentic or passionate, right? Mm. That was a learning curve to me. I I mean, I think my sentiments about the importance of communication were always there. Yes. My belief in how important it is that stories connect us, that Mm -hmm. was there. I learned that in life. But learning how to do that on the public stage, Mm -hmm. I, I learned the tricks and pitfalls of it in my first campaign. Yes. And those lessons stay with me. Yeah, that's thank you for that example. I, that example definitely connects. You reminded me of probably one of my favorite set of words from Martin Luther King, where he said that people who love peace need to learn to organize themselves as well as those who love war. For those of us who love love and love peace and love compassion and empathy, yeah. if we're not organized about it, if we're not strategic about it, if we're not thoughtful about it, That's right. it won't have the impact that we all crave for it to have. Uh, Michelle, we, you've been so kind and generous with your time. We end every episode with a final five. Uh, these are the fast five, which I always ruin because I'm too interested and curious. <laughs> uh, they're usually answered in one word to one sentence oh maximum, but I know right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it. So <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so the first question I have to ask you, Michelle, is what is the best advice you've ever heard or received? Heard a lot of it from my wise mom. Come home, we like you here. Mm. To explain that, it was like my parents always taught me that the world won't always like you, but you can't count on the world to like you. Mm. You come home to be liked. Mm -hmm. You go out there to get your education, to earn a living. You won't necessarily find people who will see you or love you or like you you get that here, mm. right? And that's been a piece of advice that's stuck Oh, with that's me. beautiful. Thank you. That's, that's so powerful. I know a lot of people who need to hear that right now. Uh, second question, what is the worst advice you've ever heard or received? 
I don't know. I don't I don't know that the worst advice stays with me. You let it go. My brother, it, this isn't the worst, right? But it goes back to mm-hmm. what we were saying earlier. You know, he's like, when you get into the White House, you got to be careful. No new friends, mm-hmm. right? That's not who he is, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was a short Protective, way of yeah. saying, be careful. I think staying open mm-hmm. was more important in this phase in our lives than being closed off. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad we stayed open. Mm-hmm. I'm glad too. Uh, question number three, you said that the White House doesn't change you. It reveals more of who you are. Yeah. What did it reveal to you about yourself? That I'm pretty strategic and smart and resilient. The White House tests you in ways that you never anticipated. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we came out as a family, as individuals, the four of us, me and our two daughters, that was us. Mm-hmm. That was our values, our compassion, our, our smarts, our strategy that got us through. You know, I'm so proud of my husband and the way he led, the way his administration worked, the team that we built. So proud of everyone. I'm, I may have diverted from the question, but- Beautiful. Please um, continue. I think that's that's because of who we are, and I know that now. Mm. I can I can see it in your eyes and and feel it from your words. Like it's it must it must be hard. Like knowing that you know it it can't always be that way in one sense. It's almost like great that you've been able to leave, but there's a there's that feeling also of like oh, but that was great. I mean, the bars are different for people in life. That I've learned. Mm. This is the thing about being another. Mm-hmm. You learn how to be excellent all the time mm-hmm. because you can't be less than. Mm-hmm. Other people can. Other people can be indicted a bunch of times and still run for, for office. Mm-hmm. Black man can't. You just learn to be good. And in the end, you benefit from that extra resilience. Mm. You know, you could be mad about it, but it also makes you more equipped Mm. right but it's still not fair (laughs) yeah definitely uh question number four we've got two more left question number four you've obviously already began living and will leave an incredible legacy for the work that you've done if you could describe what that you'd want that legacy to read if someone was reading it or hearing it what would it what would it say that she helped more young people feel seen. Mm. As I start with young people, because with one word, we can change a kid's life. We can lift them up. But that same wrong one word can crush them forever. Mm -hmm. And those are the building blocks of our humanity, Mm -hmm. how we treat our kids, all of them, Mm -hmm. right? And so I hope that my legacy is creating a stronger foundation for young people. Mm-hmm. A fifth and final question. We ask this to every guest who's ever been on the show. More, more appropriate with guests like yourselves. But uh, if you could create one law in the world that everyone had to follow, what would it be? Everybody should have a, ha- a home to live in, food to eat, a job to go to, and education. Mm. 
period. There would be the fundamental rights of everyone in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, there could be levels of that. You know, we would not live in a world where so few have so much and so many have nothing. Mm -hmm. And that law would create some kind of equity. We have this trickle-down approach, right? Yeah. That's the basis of a capitalistic economy, right? But that's not happening. Yes. <laughs> it's not trickling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the law would, it would require in whatever way, if we're not trickling voluntarily, mm -hmm. <laughs> then we need to be forced to trickle. <laughs> how do we create that law? It really. I'm, I'm in. How do we get that mandatory yeah. trickling down? Yeah. Right. No, we so need that. We mm -hmm. so need that. What's blocking that? What's what's stopping that? Oh, I think fear. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I I write about fear because I think fear is at the source of so much. Because I think the people who have a lot are afraid of not having enough, mm. and it's not rational, right? But we fear the other too. And so it's hard to give to people that you think you should be afraid of mm. because you can't connect with them. Mm. We're all human. Mm -hmm. We're so alike. I don't care about skin color or how we pray or who, how we love. We're all the same. Mm -hmm. What keeps us from seeing that is fear, right? I don't know you. You're mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. So I got to be afraid of you. And I can't, I, I have to make sure you don't come into my space. And then we live in a culture where people with power prey on fear to get mm -hmm. more power. Mm -hmm. I want to make you all afraid of each other. Mm -hmm. And then I can come in and rule it all, mm -hmm. right? I think fear is at the root of that. Michelle, I deeply appreciate uh, your time, your energy, your presence, the eloquence, but also the, the deep energy you bring to conversations like these and I'm definitely grateful for the light you carry and I'm very deeply appreciative for you sharing it on On Purpose and I hope we'll, this will be the first of many conversations together so I've thank enjoyed you again. It. Thank, thank you, you so Jay. much. Thank you. We'll talk again. Absolutely. Thank you. If you love this episode you'll enjoy my interview with Dr. Daniel Amen on how to change your life by changing your brain. If we want a healthy mind it actually starts with a healthy brain. You know, I've had the blessing or the curse to scan over a thousand convicted felons and over a hundred murderers, and their brains are very damaged. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Dealing with masks can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess whether it be the chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers 
underbed storage and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable.